So this morning we're starting a new sermon series on 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. And this series is called How Paul Corrects and Encourages Spiritual Gifts. Now 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is the longest passage in the Bible on the topic of spiritual gifts. And so our, our plan is to go through these three chapters verse by verse. Because we here at Grace Church, we want to be growing in our understanding of spiritual gifts and growing in our pursuit and experience of spiritual gifts for the, for the good of our brothers and sisters and for the glory of Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going. Now, I want to give you an illustration to maybe help you feel more deeply just how important this topic is. It's a controversial topic. Godly people have different opinions about it. But let me explain why it's so crucial that we study this topic. Jesus' purpose, he says in the Gospel of Matthew, is to build his church. So Jesus Christ is establishing local churches amongst every nation, tongue, and tribe. He's establishing communities of believers in which we are growing in trusting him, growing in loving each other, growing in reaching out to lost people, seeing lost people saved, and planting new churches. That's Jesus' passion and mission is to, to build his church. And what's amazing, what an incredible mercy, is that he calls us to join with him in that glorious purpose of building his church. So every believer is called, let's give our lives to the glory of Jesus Christ and to the salvation of the lost, to building his church. But he doesn't leave us on our own as we're joining with him in building the church. Think about a foreman at a construction site. Has all these people ready to help build? Well, the foreman would provide like tools, like power saws and drills and hammers. I mean, I'm not a construction guy, but isn't that right? Something like that, okay. And Jesus does the same for us. He doesn't give us power tools like hammers and saws and those things, but he gives us what the Bible calls spiritual gifts, which are just like tools to help us build the church. And so he gives the gift of serving, for example, where God stirs our hearts so we serve others which will help them and glorify Christ. God gives gifts of teaching so that we understand the Bible more and grow stronger in our faith. God gives gifts of healing where we lay hands on someone and pray and God heals them which will bless them and display his reality and his glory. God gives gifts of prophecy where we receive messages from him for other brothers and sisters, for the church, and as we share those messages, they're strengthened, they're built up. He gives us gifts of generosity, financial generosity, to help people in need in the body of Christ and the poor around us to display Christ's generosity and love and mercy. And he gives us gifts like tongues and interpretation. And through that prayer and that praise, we get built up, and those who hear and where it's interpreted, they get built up. And there's lots of other gifts as well. So Jesus gives us tools, spiritual gifts, to help each of us advance the cause of building his church. But tragically, too often, these tools, these gifts, are neglected or even ignored. But think of how difficult it would be to build a house without any tools. We don't want to neglect and ignore these gifts that God's given to us. 
Other times, tragically, these gifts are used in ways that are not biblical, and so instead of bringing help to the church, they bring harm to the church. That's tragic as well. So here at Grace Church, we don't want to ignore or neglect these gifts, nor do we want to use them in in a way that's unbiblical. We want to pursue them biblically, because as we do that, we will be building Jesus Church. We long to build Grace Church. We want to plant more churches here in Abu Dhabi. We want to plant more churches in the Middle East. We want to bring glory to Christ by building his church. And so it's crucial that we understand the tools, the spiritual gifts he gives, and that we pursue these gifts, these tools, biblically. So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Look at what Paul says. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So Paul doesn't want us to be uninformed. He wants us to be informed about spiritual gifts. So I just started off with this first question. What information does Paul want to give us about spiritual gifts? And as I studied these first 11 verses, I saw three truths. We're going to read these verses in a moment, but I saw three truths that Paul is giving us in these first 11 verses. First, he tells us how we can tell when someone is not speaking from the Holy Spirit and how we can tell when we have the Holy Spirit. That's verses two and three. We'll read that in a moment. Second, he tells us that God works through a variety of spiritual gifts, not just one or two predominant ones, but variety, many different spiritual gifts. And third, He tells us in verses 7 through 11 that God gives spiritual gifts to every believer. This is really good news for us. I hope this will be very encouraging to you. So let's, let's take these three truths one at a time, unpack them, explain them, see how they impact us. So first, let's ask, how can we tell who is not speaking from the Holy Spirit? And how can we tell who has the Holy Spirit? That is, I think, Paul's point in verses 2 and 3. Let's read those verses. Here's what Paul says. You know that when you were pagans, unbelievers, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, I need to acknowledge these verses are not easy to understand. And commentators have lots of explanations about them. And of all the commentators that I saw, I was most persuaded by Wayne Grudem. So I'm just going to share with you how he puts this together. And you study it on your own, okay? The Corinthians would have known exactly what Paul was talking about because they know their situation, they know what's been going on, what's happening in their church. We need to try to connect the dots to come up with what's going on here. So let me try to connect the dots. In verse two, Paul's describing the past religious practices of the Corinthian believers before they were followers of Jesus. They were led astray to mute idols. It was idol worship. These idols obviously didn't talk, They they weren't gods at all. So they didn't know anything about true spiritual gifts is the point of verse two, I believe. And so therefore, Paul wants to explain some things in verse three. So in the past, they were led astray to these mute idols. 
But then what happened? At one point, they heard Paul in their city of Corinth preaching about Jesus. They heard Paul explain that the God of the universe has come to the earth in the person of Jesus Christ so that we could see God in the flesh with our own eyes, so that we could see God's reality and love and power and mercy in Jesus Christ. And Paul taught that Jesus went to the cross. He died on the cross to pay for the sins, to be punished for the sins of everyone who would put their trust in him. And as these people living in Corinth heard Paul preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit came upon them and changed their hearts, softened their hearts so they owned up to the truth of what Paul was saying, gave them repentance, gave them faith in Christ. And so as they turned from their sin and put their trust in Jesus Christ, then God poured out his Holy Spirit upon them. And for the first time, they experienced the all-satisfying love and presence of knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ. They were filled with his love, filled with his joy. For the first time, they knew God. They were saved. They were reconciled. They were forgiven. They had all of God's promises for the rest of their life. They were saved. And then they met other people who were saved, and they started to get together on Sundays. We do it Fridays here. That's all right. But they'd meet together on Sundays, and they would spend time, somebody would bring some teaching from the, from the Old Testament, which is the, the portion of the Bible that they had. They would, they would sing in worship together, and from time to time, God would touch someone in the gathering and bring that person a message from God, a prophetic message, that when that person shared it with the church body, people were built up and strengthened and encouraged. That's what's happening in this situation. Now, let me just pause here for a moment. I've just told you that God comes at times and gives individuals messages for the rest of the church. That is what the Bible teaches, but let me clarify something crucial. This is the Bible, okay? This is perfectly true truth from God. This is the very words of God. This is our only source of perfect truth that we have. And the Bible says that at times, God will bring messages to people in his church, prophetic messages, and that when those messages are spoken, people will be strengthened, people will be encouraged, people will be blessed. But now these messages, these prophecies, need to be tested by the word of God. If a prophecy is consistent with the word of God, then it's from God. If anything in the prophecy is not consistent with the word of God, then it's not from God. Does that make sense? Because this is our source of perfect truth. This is our sole authority. Everything we do at Grace Church needs to be under the Bible, okay? Including our practice of spiritual gifts. But the reason we pursue these spiritual gifts is because in the Bible, God tells us to. We love the Bible. We want to obey the Bible, and the Bible says pursue spiritual gifts. So we say, all right, help us. Now that's my parenthesis. But so that's what the church at Corinth was experiencing when they'd gather together. Some of them would share prophetic messages, but that raised some questions in their midst, and Paul wants to answer those questions here. One question was, how can we tell when someone is speaking by the Holy Spirit? 
How can we tell? Here's the problem. Sometimes the messages that were shared were very helpful and very encouraging, but sometimes people said things that were troubling, like, Jesus is accursed. Now, we aren't sure exactly what the context of that was or what was meant, but it's clear from this verse that it was wrong, right? We know that Jesus is not accursed, but Paul wants to explain that when somebody says anything that dishonors Jesus Christ, that message is not from God. That message is not from the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't help us know for sure whether they are speaking. We need to use the rest of the scripture to evaluate that. But if somebody brings a message that dishonors Jesus Christ, it is not from the Holy Spirit. So are we all clear on that? Very important. So that was one question. How can we tell when someone is speaking by the Holy Spirit? We can tell they are not speaking by the Spirit if they bring a message that dishonors Christ. But a second question that was raised it was raised by those who did not receive any prophetic messages. Somebody can't, comes Sunday after Sunday, Friday after Friday, God never gives them a, a prophetic message to share with the church, and so some of them started to wonder, maybe I don't even have the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit never gives me a prophetic message to encourage God's people, maybe I don't have the Holy Spirit. And I think Paul addresses that problem at the end of verse three. No one can say, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, even if you never bring a prophetic message to the church, you can tell that you have the Holy Spirit, you've been saved, because you love affirming that Jesus is Lord. You love the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead, gave him the name above every name, Lord, and that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. You love affirming that Jesus is Lord. You love submitting to Jesus, Lord. You love the fact that he is your master, your Lord, and you want your whole life to be submitted to him. If in your heart this morning, you are loving the reality that Jesus Christ is your Lord, then you can know you've got the Holy Spirit in you because nobody affirms submitting to Jesus Christ unless the Holy Spirit changes their hearts and gives them that love for Jesus Christ as their Lord. So let me just make sure you get, we get this now. If you never bring a prophetic word to the church, but you love affirming that Jesus is Lord, do you have the Holy Spirit? Yes, absolutely. You've got the precious Holy Spirit living inside of you. And church, by the way, isn't, isn't that an amazing truth that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we can have the third person of the Trinity, God, the Spirit, living inside of us, leading us, filling us, strengthening us when we're weak, encouraging us when we're discouraged. Don't you just love that about God, that he's not distant and aloof, but he comes into our hearts through faith in Jesus Christ by the person of the Holy Spirit. We have God by the Spirit dwelling in our hearts, and you know that because in your heart right now you're saying, Jesus is Lord. I love you, Jesus, as, as Lord. I wanna to submit my life totally to you. Help me to do that more. You've got the Holy Spirit. Are we clear? Very important, and that's the point that Paul wants to make in verses two and three. But then it sounds like these believers had a, a, another question, and this is answered in verses four through six. They knew that God could give, by the Holy Spirit, prophetic messages to share with the church, but they were wondering, does the Spirit give other gifts besides prophetic messages? I guess that was happening a lot, 
Are there other gifts? Is I think what's going on here? Look at what Paul says in verses four through six. And notice the words he repeats in these four verses, three verses. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So Paul repeats varieties three times and he repeats same three times. And the point is that the same God doesn't work in just one way, the same God works in a variety of ways. Lots of different ways that God works in us and through us to build his church. So let's just be clear, if God never gives you a prophetic message for the church, that doesn't mean that God is ignoring you. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean God has abandoned you because there's a variety of gifts, there's a variety of activities, there's a variety of, of services that God works through his people. And to help us understand this, notice how in verses four through six, Paul mentions each member of the Trinity. This is crucial to get. Let's read verses four through six again and notice this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There's God, the Holy Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There's Jesus the Lord, God the Son, Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God, God the Father, who empowers them all in everyone. Now let's just review what the Bible teaches about the Trinity. This is foundational to who God is, how he's revealed himself to us. The Bible teaches that there is one God, not three gods, one God, in three persons. God the Father, fully God. God the Son, fully God. God the Spirit, fully God. There's, there's mystery there, but it's clear that's what the Bible teaches. One God in three persons. So why in verses four through six does Paul name each member of the Trinity? And, and I think it's to show how, again, one God works in a variety of ways. Because each member of the Trinity has a different role in the plan of salvation, okay? The Holy Spirit didn't die on the cross for us. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, did. God the Father wasn't born of a virgin. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was. Each member of the Trinity has a different role in God's overall plan of salvation. One plan of salvation but a variety of roles. So God the Father plans the plan of salvation. From eternity past, he planned to save a vast multitude of people that no one can count from every nation, tongue, and tribe. God the Father plans salvation. Jesus purchased salvation by dying on the cross for us and rising from the dead. So he's purchased everything you need, all the faith, all the repentance, all the grace, all the persevering power to make it all the way to heaven, eternal life. Jesus has already purchased for you everything that you need for salvation. He's purchased for you. It's yours by faith alone through his grace. Jesus purchased salvation. And the Holy Spirit 
applies that salvation. So when you put your trust in Christ, God poured the Holy Spirit out upon you and all of those saving benefits, gifts, mercies were brought into your life and as you continue to call upon the Lord, put your trust in Jesus, he just keeps pouring out upon you through the Holy Spirit everything you need for salvation now and forever. So each member of the Trinity has a different role in the same plan of salvation. And in the same way, we all have different activities in God's one plan of building the church. That's the illustration, the point that Paul wants to make here. So Paul wants us to be clear. Gifts of speaking, gifts of like prophetic messages, that's just one of many different ways that God works to accomplish the building of the church. Now, why is that important for us to understand? There's probably lots of reasons why, but I thought of a couple. Um, one is because some of us have a tendency to think our gifts, our service, our activities are inferior to others. And others of us could maybe tend to think that our gifts and activities and service are superior to others. I think we all tend to go maybe one way or the other. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you are especially gifted and equipped and called by God. You love serving other people in not very public ways. Maybe you make a meal for a family where there's sickness in the household. Or maybe you babysit a young couple's baby so they can go get a date night together finally. Or maybe you drive someone whose car is broken to the pharmacy so they can pick up a prescription. But these are behind the scenes, not very public ways. And it's possible that you could feel inferior to those who have more of a public ministry, like, like teaching or somebody with a prophetic gifting along those lines. But you should not feel inferior because it is the same Holy Spirit, the same beautiful, wonderful Holy Spirit who is working in you just as powerfully as somebody who's bringing a prophetic message or healing the sick or anything like that. He's working in you just as powerfully as them as you are making that meal for the family with sickness in their home or as you're driving this person to get a prescription because their car is broken down. So we should never feel inferior about the gifts that God is giving to us. Church, are we clear on that? This is because that, that can happen so often, and we want this to be an inferiority free zone here at Grace Church. None of that. We also want it to be a superiority free zone. So, what if, what if God has gifted you to, to heal the sick? When you lay hands on somebody, very often, he, God supernaturally heals them. Well, you might feel superior, because that's, that's a powerful, dramatic ministry. You might feel superior to those who are maybe setting up chairs here Friday morning or, or providing hospitality, having somebody over for dinner this week. But again, you should not feel superior to those because as much power as you're experiencing the Holy Spirit using through you, they are experiencing that same Holy Spirit, the same power, the same wonderful third person of the Trinity working through them as they are setting up chairs or practicing hospitality. So no inferiority, no superiority. God doesn't just work in one or two ways. He works in a variety of ways and all of them are beautiful expressions of the wonderful third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit working through us for the glory of Jesus Christ under the plan of God. 
Now, I think there's one more question that Paul answers in this passage. How many of us will receive spiritual gifts? This is so encouraging. He answers that in verses 7 through 11. And as we read these verses, notice how verse 7 is repeated with similar words, not the exact same words, but similar words in verse 11. Start with verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So what does to each mean? That means every single believer, right? Each and every believer receives, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then he gives some examples. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Okay, so how many of us will receive spiritual gifts? All of us will. Everyone who is loving the Lordship of Christ, everyone who is trusting Jesus Christ to forgive them, change them, satisfy them, every believer receives spiritual gifts. That's what Paul is saying here. But now here's a crucial question. When do we receive those gifts? I want to raise that question because part of my background, and I would guess some of your backgrounds are similar to this, is that I was taught in my early years that the moment you are saved, you receive all the gifts God's going to give you. He might give you one or two or three gifts, and, and the way you discover what those gifts are is by taking a, filling out a questionnaire. Anybody fill out questionnaires where you kind of check the boxes and that you kind of total up the numbers and that'll show you what gifts that you have, and so for the rest of your life, you should focus on those gifts and don't worry about the other ones because you trust what God has given you. And I, I think there is some truth to that because, for example, in Acts chapter 10, when those from Cornelius' household who weren't believers heard Paul preaching the gospel, they put their trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them, and some of them received the gift of tongues right then. So there are gifts that you can receive. I mean, God can gift you with your gifts or with some of your gifts at the point of conversion. But the Bible doesn't bear out that that's all that you're gonna receive and that that's all that you should seek. And let me show you two verses from 1 Corinthians 14. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse one. Notice how this verse just doesn't fit that model. Paul says, pursue love. And again, remember, we're gonna be talking about this a lot in these weeks ahead. The reason we pursue spiritual gifts is for the sake of love of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to bless our brothers and sisters. We want to build them up. We want to encourage them. This is not to puff us up. This is to build them up. Are we clear? So pursue love. That's the motivation for this whole thing. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So we should earnestly desire spiritual gifts, which means that there are gifts we should desire that we haven't received them yet. 
That's why we desire them. God, give me, give me whatever gifts, give me all the gifts, give me whatever I can bless my brothers and sisters with here, give them to me today. And then we are to especially earnestly desire to prophesy, which means that if we've never received a, a message from God for God's people, if we've never received a word of prophecy before, we should earnestly desire it anyway because God might give it to you this time. So do you see how 1 Corinthians 14.1 doesn't fit the idea that you've received all the gifts you're going to receive at the point of conversion. God can give other gifts later on. Look also at 1 Corinthians 14.13 for the same truth. Paul says, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So if you receive a word in, in tongues, you should pray that God gives you the interpretation. You may have never received an interpretation of tongues before, but pray that he will give it to you. And he might give it to you for the first time right then and there. So the point is that we can receive gifts by praying for them. And what these two verses show is that none of us has experienced all the gifts that God is going to give to us. There's more. There's more gifts that he wants us to be desiring that he wants us to be asking him for. Now, when we ask God for gifts, he may or may not give them. He is sovereign over gifts. We trust him. He may or may not give them, but we should pray for them for the sake of building up the church. That's what Paul wants us to do here. So each one of us will receive spiritual gifts. That can start at the beginning of your Christian life, and it can continue all through your Christian life. But no believer is going to be left you know, with like your pockets sticking out, no gifts. Every believer, God is going to pour out gifts upon us so that we have a place in building the church, bringing glory to Jesus, planting churches, advancing the gospel. And then in verses 8 through 10, Paul lists some of these spiritual gifts just so we know what he's talking about. Now, this is just a partial list here. And we know that because in Romans 12, Paul lists some other spiritual gifts. He lists leadership and exhortation and serving and generosity and mercy. Uh, but let's look at the ones that Paul mentions here. Verse 8, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. I'm going to clump those two together because it's hard to be sure exactly what those gifts are. Um, for example, we've got the word wisdom occurring back in 1 Corinthians 2, which points to this gift being knowledge of the scriptures. And I think that's surely part of the definition. We have the word knowledge taking place in 1 Corinthians 13. It sounds like a supernatural thing, which is, I think, probably part of this definition as well. So I think, for example, let's say that you're at home group this week and somebody is sharing about how they're having a very hard time uh, dealing with their anger. And, and God might give you wisdom through some scriptures you've studied about how does the Bible tell us to deal with anger and you can share those scriptures with them and they find great benefits. So that's one way that a word of, of knowledge, word of wisdom could work. Another possibility is maybe you're, you're driving home one day and as you're driving home, God brings into your mind one of your friends just the idea that this person's discouraged, you need to go home and, and call them. And so you go home, you call them and say, I just, this might be strange, but I feel like God said you were maybe discouraged and I wanted to call you and encourage you and they say, that's unbelievable, I'm completely discouraged. Thank you so much and you talk and you pray. And so anyway, I think this is a broad 
gift, knowledge, wisdom. So that's the word of, or the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge. Verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit. Now, what is faith? It's not the same as saving faith because God gives every believer saving faith. Okay, the fact that you're trusting Jesus to save you, the fact that you love his lordship, you already have saving faith. So what is, what is this gift of faith? It's a supernatural confidence that you didn't stir up by yourself, you didn't try to be positive thinking, it's just God gives you, you know that God's gonna do something amazing. You, you know. And then as you pray about it, or as you act on it, it happens. I, I love the example of Hudson Taylor's mother. Hudson Taylor was one of the first missionaries to inland China. Amazing man with an amazing ministry, but he was not a believer in his early years. And one day his mother was three hours away from their home visiting a friend and she felt like God wanted her to go upstairs, close the door, and spend a couple hours praying for her son's salvation. And so she did that. And as she was praying, God just all of a sudden, boom, she knew, God's saving him right now. God is, God is saving my son. And then she ended up traveling home and walks in the door and uh, he says, Mom, guess what happened? She says, let me tell you what happened. Um, and he was saved. But so that, it's, again, it's, this is not you trying to be positive. This is God, woof, bring you, you know God's gonna do something. And then he does it. That make sense? That's the gift of faith. To another gifts of healing by the one spirit. This is supernatural healing, where we pray for someone to be healed, and in great mercy, I mean, God could use any of us to do this. This is so beautiful. You might feel like, not me, no, you. Are you do you love Jesus' lordship? Yes, are you trusting Jesus? Yes, pray for the sick, and God may heal supernaturally through you. Now, we love doctors, we love medicine, Remember Paul says to Timothy, take a little wine for the sake of your upset stomach. Okay, so we love doctors and medicine, nothing wrong with that at all, but there are times where God, to display his power and his love, heals supernaturally. This happens sometimes during our after-service prayer time. Now God doesn't always heal, we trust him for that, but oh, we pray and we ask and we plead and, we, and very often he does. To another, the working of miracles. This is obvious, it's where you work a miracle. Okay, it's not, not complicated. Um, I don't think I've ever, I've ever gotten this gift, but I think my, my grandfather might have. Uh, he was preaching in Chicago, US, at a place called Soldier Field, which is an open, open stadium, and it started to rain pretty heavily. And what I've heard is that he said, let's pray, God, we pray that you'd have the rain stop right now, and it stopped. Anyway, that might have been working of miracles. Uh, keep going in verse 10 to another prophecy. We've already talked about prophecy. This is where God spontaneously brings into your mind. You didn't think about it ahead of time or plan it or prepare it. He brought into your mind a message that when you share it with other brothers and sisters brings them great benefit. We've already talked about that some. And we'll be talking about that more. Paul goes into, into that a lot in these chapters. Continue in verse 10 to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. It's the ability to discern whether something that's happening is from a demonic spirit or whether it's from the Holy Spirit. And he gives you the ability to discern that. Keep going in verse 10. To another, various kinds of tongues. I think that this usually involves prayer 
or praise, spoken in syllables not understood by the speaker, but which will strengthen the speaker's faith, and then when it's interpreted, will strengthen the faith of others. Paul talks about that gift a lot in these chapters also to correct some abuses that were happening in the Corinthian church, so we'll be digging more into that gift in the weeks ahead. And then at the end of verse 10, to another, the interpretation of tongues. That is the God-given ability to understand what someone is praying or praising in tongues, and then you would share that with the rest of the church body, and they would be benefited by it. So here's a list of some of the gifts, but again, Paul's point here is to make sure we understand that each one will receive gifts as God chooses. No follower of Jesus Christ will be giftless, every single one of us. You may receive a different gift at home group this week than you've ever had before, and then the next week you may not receive that gift, but you may receive a different gift to build up people. We come and say, Lord, for the sake of love, I earnestly desire gifts. I especially want to prophesy over tongues. We'll get into that in the, in the next weeks because that's understandable. But Lord, for the sake of love, I earnestly desire your gifts. Use me in any way you would see fit with my family, family devotions tonight, with my home group, Friday morning, as I go to work today. Use me in any way you choose for the upbuilding of your people, for the glory of your name, for the, for the building of the church and then he will give us whatever gifts he sees are fitting and helpful. There's the passage. Now, what does this mean for us? Let me give you a couple of takeaways. First, again, understand that God gives spiritual gifts to every believer. I think some of you need to hear that. I think some of you maybe have thought, well, not me because of this or this or this, or I've sinned so much, or you know, I'm so weak in my knowledge of the Bible or whatever it might be, but that's, that's not what the Bible says. If you're proclaiming Christ's lordship, if you're trusting Christ, you have the Holy Spirit and you will receive gifts. Gifts are not earned, gifts are gifts. You don't earn gifts, that's why they're called gifts, because they're unearned. They're outflows of God's mercy through Jesus Christ. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing that, that the God of the universe, as glorious and holy and sovereign and powerful and majestic as he is, that he would work through weak people like us with his gifts to touch other people's lives, to heal other people, to bring messages from God to people, because that glorifies his beauty and, and mercy, that he would work through weak people like us. So understand, God gives spiritual gifts to every believer. Second, therefore, earnestly desire these gifts and ask for these gifts to build God's church. It's for the sake of love, for the sake of the glory of Christ. Earnestly desire them and ask for them. I would guess that some of you are afraid of spiritual gifts. Maybe you've had bad experiences in the past with churches that didn't practice them biblically or appropriately. Maybe you're gun shy of them. I would appeal to you to not let other people's wrong practices keep you from what the Bible calls you to pursue. Don't be afraid of them. We want to pursue them biblically, wisely, humbly, but we don't want to pursue them. And then as he gives gifts, thank him for what he gives and trust him for what he does not. He's God. We trust him. Then, don't stop there with desiring, take steps of obedience. 
Here's what I mean. Serve those around you. We're all commanded to serve whether we feel like we have a gift or not, right? So we serve and watch how he gifts you as you start to serve. Pray for others to be healed. James 5, we're all commanded to pray for the sick. Well, I, don't, I don't have that gift. Well, pray. You're not commanded to have the gift. You're just commanded to pray and then see what he does. Ask God to work miracles. You need miracles? Pray for them. Well, who am I to pray for a miracle? Nobody. But he's everybody. He's everything you need. He loves you. You're forgiven through Jesus Christ. I mean, just think of the glory that would come if somebody like me could work a miracle. It's like, God, you are amazing, right? Isn't that how it works? Doesn't sound like you're convinced, church, okay? <laughs> pray for miracles, not because of who we are, but because God is so merciful and so loving that he would give miracles to people like us for the glory of his name. Take steps of obedience to speak biblical wisdom to others, to ask God for prophetic messages to share and then share them. If God brings a prayer in tongues to you, ask God to give you the interpretation. Or if he gives it to somebody else, ask God for the interpretation and, and so on. So we need to take steps of obedience and then as God gives gifts, don't feel inferior or superior about what gifts God gives. And then finally, give God all the glory. Give God all the glory for his gifts, which are ours through Jesus. None of us deserves any of these gifts. Not one. Every gift he gives is a blood-bought, a cross-purchased gift handed to you with nail-pierced hands. And so we just, we just take them and say, thank you. If it's serving, thank you. If it's exhortation, thank you. If it's a miracle, it's thank you. All the glory goes to you for what you've done through Jesus. And church, I just hope, I hope you get a little glimpse here of how loving and good and merciful God is through Jesus, that he would raise up the church and that he would gift people like us in these ways, that he would work through us, in, like healing the sick through people like us. That's amazing. God does that. Bringing messages from God through people like us, that's amazing. So see the love of God. See the mercy of God. See the, the compassion of God through Jesus and give him all the glory for what he does. Here's where we're going these next weeks. Keep studying, but let's stand. I want to pray this over us right now. Father, I pray that you would relieve any fears that people have about spiritual gifts. Let us just embrace your word, study your word, learn your word, think through your word, and trust your word. I pray that you'd remove any feelings of inferiority that people might have or superiority that people might have. But I pray that you would give each of us a heart that says, Lord, we surrender to you. We want what you say in your word. The Bible is perfect truth. We want to say yes to what your word says. So Lord, we want to surrender to you. Work in us any way you see fit. Give us whatever gifts you see fit. We want to take steps of obedience. Lord, for the sake of love, for the sake of your glory, pour out your gifts upon Grace Church even more. We pray in Jesus' name.